Kato soared up into the air and circled over Patrick and Patsy. He screeched with his high-pitched eagle voice, Fire! Your house is on fire! The eagle then turned and flew in the direction of the house, circling it and continuing to screech. Patrick looked up and saw Cato. His smile faded as he followed the bird to see the stream of smoke coming from his house. Oh no, dear God above help! Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, keep in mind you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderoftheseven.com. On today's episode, we'll uh, hear chapter 32. Uh, uh, that's funny. I, I seem to be missing my notepad, uh, but but it is chapter 32. I know that. And, and uh, as always, uh, please welcome our hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. Bonjour, mes amis. Uh, greetings. Uh, hey, announcer lad. No fancy intros today. Well, I, I plan to, but my notepad is missing. And Well, it didn't just get up and walk away by itself, old chap. You know, that's what my mother used to say. Uh, wait, monsieur. Here it is over here. How to get over there? I, I, I would never put it there. And thus the plot thickens. Well, and speaking of missing things, in the bathroom this morning, I was missing my moose. There'd be a moose in your bathroom? What? Are you using his antlers to hang your bathrobe then? No, not that kind of moose. Is it a chocolate moose? Uh, why do you eat in the bathroom? No, 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 no. It's 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 hair moose. It's it's for my it's for styling my hair. I say you use moose to style your hair. Yeah. You mean your hair looks like that on purpose? Look, that's not important. Perhaps it should be. It, it's it's that the moose is missing, which reminds me. So is my donut. I had it right over here on that plate, and see, it's gone. You are right, monsieur. I saw it earlier, but uh, technically, it uh, was a crueler. Uh, crueler than what? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, that, that's what it's called, Max. It's a, a crueler. It's, it's like a fancy donut. Well, then call it a donut. Look, none of that matters right now. Perhaps it should. What matters is, why are all these things not where they belong? Hmm. Why indeed? Why are things not as they should be? Uh-huh. Seems we have a bit of a mystery here. Indeed, as Inspector Holmes would say, the game is afoot. Uh, how can a game be afoot? Oh, for goodness sake, Max, read a book. <coughs> did, did, did you hear that? Hmm, maybe it's afoot. I say, but what kind of foot? <coughs> to what is that foot attached? <coughs> Some unknown creature <coughs> that seems to have invaded <coughs> our studio. All right, knock it off. You think there's something in here? Or the signs are pointing to it, laddie. But where is it hiding? Things are missing? Things mysteriously moved? Seems nothing is adding up. Save for the goosebumps running up and down your arms. O okay, so I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> a little? We oui, the beads of sweat forming on your forehead tell a different story. Okay, okay, I admit it. I'm a little freaked out, okay? But, uh... Speaking of telling a different story, I think we need to do that right now. 
Fine. You bring us Chapter 32 of The Voice of the Revolution and the Key. And don't worry about anything else. Aye. Nothing to worry about, lad. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. Chapter 32 Fire to the Fiddle Pine Slash, April 1757 Do you see the pretty red bird? Patrick asked, pointing to the cardinal sitting on the fence post. He held on to two-year-old Patsy's ankle with his other hand. She was riding on his shoulders as he carried her on their early evening walk. He says, What cheer, 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 pretty, 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 pretty. Patsy giggled, loving to hear her father imitate the birds. She kicked her little feet. Again! Patrick smiled and bounced his daughter as he walked along next to the fence. What cheer, 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 pretty, 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 he repeated. The toddler held her head back and laughed. <laughs> Again! What cheer, 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 pretty, 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 pretty. Patsy continued to giggle and wrapped her small hands around her father's face. She leaned over and kissed the top of his head. That is the best thing to happen to me all day, little girl, Patrick said with a happy smile as they walked along next to the freshly made dirt hills prepared for the new tobacco seedlings. He sighed, praying that this year's crop would beat last year's dismal harvest. Big bird, came Patsy's voice as she pointed to the sky. Patrick looked up, and there, soaring above them, was Cato. That is my bald eagle, and his name is Cato. At least, I like to believe it's my eagle. Can you say Cato? Cato, Patsy repeated, moving her feet happily against Patrick's shoulders. I taught him how to fly, Patsy. Would you like me to teach you, too? offered Patrick. He pulled her down from his shoulders and held her by the legs while he supported her chest. Stretch out your arms. Here we go. He took off running while Patsy giggled with delight, her little hands spread out into the air. For a few stolen moments of joy, Patrick forgot the cares of his day. In addition to Patsy, he and Sally now had a newborn baby boy. They named him John, after both of their fathers. Patrick was 21 now. Most of his friends were off fighting the French and Indian War. Uncle Lang Lu himself also joined in the fight after Indians attacked his house out on the frontier. Patrick's half-brother, John Syme Jr., Samuel Meredith, and West Dandridge were all off fighting for their country. Patrick remained behind, fighting the drought that daily confirmed to him that tobacco farming was the worst profession he could possibly have chosen. But Patrick loved his little family and spent the evenings giving Sally a breather to care for baby John while he played with Patsy. He loved taking her on walks, playing his flute or his fiddle, and just simply hearing her laugh. The sound of her voice made any problems of the day melt away. Liz sat in the field watching Patrick and Patsy zoom around. She smiled, turning her gaze up to Cato. Nigel was up there riding with him so he could survey the crops and bring Liz a report from the air. Suddenly, she heard a rustling in the bushes, and a rat came barreling out, running a mile a minute. Ah! he shouted as he nearly ran into Liz. Stop! What is your business here? Liz asked with a stern tone, stopping the rat in his tracks. 
The rat fumbled for words, trying to come up with any excuse to keep the cat's attention on him and not behind her. Uh, nice evening we're having, miss. Liz's eyes narrowed, hearing the rat speak with a cockney British accent. You are not from here. I shall ask you again. What are you doing here? The rat smiled weakly and swallowed as Liz slowly crept toward him. He kept looking around her and rambled on. I'm on holiday. Yeah, that's it, a holiday. I always wanted to come see America. It suddenly dawned on her. You are the rat from the ship that followed us from London. Max tossed you overboard. But do I hold a grudge? Not at all, love. In fact, I were glad for that exercise, the rat said, continuing to look back toward the house over Liz's shoulder. Swimming's the best form of exercise, I always say. Of course, I haven't been swimming all this time. I've been touring round the colonies, taking in the lovely sights and whatnot. Suddenly the rat's eyes widened in fear as Cato came swooping down on top of them. Nigel called out, Fire! Hurry to the house! Liz quickly turned around and saw smoke rising from Patrick's house. While her back was turned, the rat scurried off. She immediately started running toward the house and yelled up to Cato and Nigel, Alert, Patrick! Cato soared up into the air and circled over Patrick and Patsy, who hadn't seen the smoke. He screeched with his high-pitched eagle voice, Fire! Your house is on fire! The eagle then turned and flew in the direction of the house, circling it and continuing to screech. Patrick looked up and saw Cato, his smile faded as he followed the bird to see the stream of smoke coming from his house. Oh no, dear God above help! He pressed Patsy to his chest and took off running toward the house. The servants were running back and forth with buckets from the well, trying to douse the flames. Nelson was barking as Liz reached him. Is everyone safe? Liz asked, out of breath. Where is Sally? Yes, I was able to alert Sally in time. She and the baby had fallen asleep, Nelson explained hurriedly. Sally came walking around the house, holding John, crying at the top of his lungs. Oh, thank the maker. Liz closed her eyes in relief. Yes, but Patrick's fiddle is still inside, Nelson answered. Liz looked at him, and their eyes locked with anguished thoughts of Patrick losing his prized treasure. Before she could say a word, Nelson took off running into the house that was now engulfed in flames. Patrick came running up to Sally, and together they held their children as they watched their home being destroyed by flames. "'Thank God you are both safe,' Patrick said with a trembling voice, burying his face in Sally's hair. Sally nodded and wept, pressing her fingers into his back. "'Everyone is safe!' "'But I saw Nelson running into the house before you got here,' she shouted above the din of the children crying, the servants shouting, and the flames roaring. Patrick took one step toward the house, and Sally grasped his arm to stop him. "'Pat, Nelson saved us, but you can't save him.' The rat stopped running and held his hand to his chest to catch his breath. He looked behind him at the night sky ablaze with fire. He smiled, his yellowed, pronounced front teeth showing. 
I did it, eh? You did nothing, came a voice from the darkness. The smile melted off the rat's face. He held out his hand in protest. Don't you see the flames? You tipped over a lamp and made it cozy little fire. Oh, goody! The voice sneered in a tone that made the hair on the back of the rat's spine stand on end. No one died. But, the rat protested before his voice was permanently silenced. If I can't kill him, I'll do the next best thing, the voice said, its source growing a smile in the darkness. I'll discourage him. The unnatural, horrible stench of charred, burning debris filled the air. An occasional pop sounded as a smoldering heap breathed its last. Patrick and Sally's house was burned to the ground. Nearly everything they owned was destroyed. They thankfully had each other. No one was hurt in the blaze, but the paltry ownings they had, wedding gifts mostly, were all but gone. Patrick walked around the smoking rubble that was once his house and clenched his jaw. He shook his head. Could things get any worse? My crops barely yield enough to keep us fed. Now this? Liz and Nigel sat solemnly outside the barn, tired from the long night. The humans had all collapsed on the soft hay, sleeping together in the haven where the cows lowed softly and the cries of the baby rose occasionally in the night air. How did the fire start? Nigel wanted to know. According to the humans, it was an accidental fire, Liz replied. But I have no doubt that the rat I encountered was behind it. Sally and John were asleep. The rat likely thought Patrick and Patsy were inside as well. Nigel's whiskers bristled with anger. Rats are indeed revolting. But this rat was a minion only, used by one who wants to bring harm to my enemy, accused Liz, furrowing her brow. She and Nigel shared a silent moment or two before Buttercup the cow mood, welcoming a new day. The last time I slept in a stable with a baby and a cow was the night Jesus was born, Liz remarked with a bittersweet smile. Joseph and Mary had nothing, but they had everything that night. They had everything that matters, my dear, Nigel agreed, and despite the tragedy of last night, Patrick and Sally also still have everything that matters. Liz nodded, but blinked back tears. We? She lowered her head and began to sob, <laughs> except for Nelson. He is lost. Nigel patted Liz's back with his paw. He was a valiant soldier, brave to save Sally and baby John, and then to face the fiery inferno to reclaim Patrick's fiddle. Together the two shared a quiet moment of grief. Nigel then heard a shuffling sound behind him and turned his head. His grief quickly turned to joy. A lump filled his throat but he crackled out, Nelson is not lost. Liz opened her eyes and lifted her gaze to see the limping form of Nelson 
making his way over to them. Oh! she exclaimed, running over to the dog. You are alive, mon ami! Oh, how happy I am to see you! Nelson managed a weak smile, then winced and stumbled. I'm alive, all right. Nigel came rushing up to them. Good show, old boy! What happened? Nelson looked at Nigel and squinted with one eye open. I, I ran inside to get the fiddle. The flame surrounded me. I quickly started gasping for breath and became confused. I couldn't make out how to escape. I don't know how I got out of there, but I woke up under the old elm tree outside the overseer's cottage. Liz's eyes brimmed with tears. I see. I'm glad you are safe. She realized, however, that Patrick's fiddle was gone. The strange thing is, Nelson added, the fiddle was also next to me. Uh, maybe I carried it out. I, I don't know. But it's safe, too. Liz's heart caught in her throat, and happiness filled her heart. She nodded and blinked back her tears, now tears of joy. Incredible, Nigel exclaimed, running off to check on Patrick's fiddle. I know you are exhausted, mon ami, Liz said. You must drink some water and get some rest. But first, please let Patrick know you are alive. Nelson looked over and saw Patrick walking around in the rubble, his head lowered as he wiped his eyes with the back of his sleeve. Will do, Nelson agreed. Liz watched as Nelson walked over to Patrick, who dropped to his knees and enveloped the hound dog with fierce love and gratitude, as if he were Patrick's last friend on earth. One week later. Reverend Samuel Davies and Patrick walked along the lane, leading away from the scene of devastation and loss. They slowly meandered next to the tobacco fields without speaking, sharing the precious gift of silence close friends easily share, knowing that sometimes quiet moments carry the most comfort. Patrick stopped and leaned over to pull a weed up by the roots. He dragged it through his fingers, stripping it of its invading abilities. Samuel held his hand up to his eyes to shield them from the sun. Weeds are dastardly things. Patrick frowned and tossed the weed to the ground. Aye, they are. They walked a bit farther until Patrick was ready to speak. Thank you for coming, Reverend. Call me Samuel, please, Davies implored, as he had often done with Patrick's father. I came as soon as I heard. Rest assured that the Pole Green family will check in on you and Sally and help you get back on your feet. And you will get back on your feet. Patrick nodded and swallowed the lump in his throat. We are grateful. Thank you for the food and clothes you brought us today. The Lord has promised to supply all our needs, and so he has. You have each other, you have food, and you have a roof over your heads. Davies reminded the young man. Indeed, the overseer's cottage is small and run down, but it will do, Patrick answered. The Sheltons and the Winstons have brought us a bed, a table, a chair, and some cooking pots and utensils. I'll have to make some more items and patch the leaky roof. One hundred yards away from where their house had stood 
was a vacant, until now, overseer's cottage. It was a white one-story rectangular building with three rooms, an attic, and a half-basement. A six-foot chimney rose up from a fireplace that could heat two of the three rooms. It was crude, but it was better than the barn. Patrick shook his head. I don't understand why everything seems to be against me. Davies didn't respond immediately. He leaned over and pulled another weed from the ground and held it up to Patrick. The writer of Hebrews said, Guard against turning back from the grace of God. Let no one become like a bitter plant that grows up and causes many troubles with its poison. We can easily become discouraged when things come against us, which quickly can turn us bitter against God and men, and bitterness is poison. He stopped and put a hand on Patrick's shoulder and touched his heart. Keep the weeds of discouragement and bitterness from taking root in your heart, Patrick. Joseph also didn't understand the ill treatment he received from his brothers and in Egypt. If anyone had cause to be bitter, it was he. But he was faithful and never turned back from the grace of God. In the end, he finally understood his trials and could see how God had been preparing him all along for what he was meant to do. If he hadn't been thrown in prison, he never would have been in the right place at the right time to stand before Pharaoh. He handed the weed to Patrick. Patrick nodded and twisted the weed in his hands. Wise words indeed, Reverend. Thank you for reminding me. I know that one day I will understand all this. Call me Samuel, please, Davies begged with a grin. That's the spirit, and I hope to be here when your miracle finally comes. Patrick smiled. That makes two of us, uh, Samuel. October, 1757 Liz and Nigel sat by the fireplace, watching the embers slowly die. The family was sound asleep in the other room. Nelson wheezed as he slept in the corner of their room near the cradle. He hadn't been the same since the night of the fire, suffering from a constant cough after inhaling so much smoke. Ah, Cher Nelson, Liz whispered, I wish there was something we could do for his cough. Nigel straightened his spectacles. It's a dreadful battle wound, I'm afraid. I also wish there was something we could do for Patrick. The harvest does not look good, mon ami, Liz lamented. She gazed at Patrick's fiddle, sitting on the footstool. We haven't received a word from Gilliman in the six months since the fire. She got up and walked over to the fiddle. The fire had only enhanced its fiery stain. Nigel? Uh, yes, my dear, Nigel replied, looking at the way Liz was studying the fiddle. Do you wish for me to see if Gilliman has a word for us? Oui, even if that word is to keep waiting. Liz replied, but I need to hear something, anything. Nigel scurried to his little cubbyhole and retrieved his bow. He held it up with a broad smile and climbed up the legs of the stool. The mouse slowly pulled his bow across the strings and a series of notes lifted from the violin into the air, filled with glowing words. Good evening, little ones. I was getting ready to contact you. Liz's eyes reflected the soft amber glow of the fire and the notes. Bonsoir, Guillemon. 
This means there is something for us to do, no? Uh, please tell me it is time for the next part of the riddle. Yes, it is time for the Henry family to leave Pine Slash. Oh, boom! But where are they to go? Liz asked. Patrick has no money. To the tavern. Nigel's jaw fell open as he continued to play. My dear fellow, do you mean to suggest that Patrick Henry will take his wife and two small children to live in a tavern? Uh, forgive me, but I cannot imagine that this will be a suitable environment for them. That's exactly what I'm suggesting, but not just any tavern. Liz's tail curled up and down as she pondered this directive. Her eyes lit up. You mean John Shelton's tavern, no? Hanover Tavern? Indeed, Hanover Tavern. This will be the most important move Patrick will ever make. It will lead him to his voice. Nigel frowned. I suppose he can sing and play the fiddle for the guests and help Mr. Shelton run the business, but I am still quite befuddled by this move, old boy. And while he does all those things, he will slowly find his voice. You must help Patrick figure out this move, Liz. I do not know how I will get him to leave, Gillimon, Liz answered. Not that he does not wish to leave this place. Help him to see that a place has been prepared for him. You will figure it out, and I will see you there. Nigel continued to pull his bow across the violin, but no more notes appeared. I believe he is gone, my dear. He stopped playing and draped his elbows over the fiddle. I am still quite befuddled. A tavern? Liz's mind raced. Oui, a tavern, and I believe I know how to get him there. She looked at Nigel with a coy grin. With a Bible. Patrick rested his elbows on the rickety desk, holding his head in his hands as he glanced over his account book. The news was bad. Only one hogshead of tobacco. That's all I have to show for this grueling year of farming. That will only bring in ten pounds at Page's warehouse. Sally and the children had long since retired for the night. Little Patsy was curled up holding the handkerchief doll Patrick had made her. The bed creaked as Sally turned onto her side, softly sighing in her sleep. She subconsciously reached her hand to touch the tiny wooden cradle next to her on the floor where baby John slept soundly. She was exhausted from the day of cooking, cleaning, and taking care of the children and the rest of the household. Patrick sat up and turned his head to see his small family sleeping there. While he was grateful his family was saved from the fire and that they had a roof over their heads, he knew they couldn't stay here. Patrick needed to figure out what to do next, but he was at a loss at the moment. He took in a deep breath and slowly exhaled through his nose. Oh, Sally, you deserve so much more than what I've been able to provide. He choked back his emotion. I've failed as a merchant and a farmer. Even the house you brought to the marriage was lost to the fire. I've given you nothing. He rested his head on his arms as he leaned over the table. I'm so tired, and I don't know what else to do. Liz's eyes reflected the soft candlelight as she watched her Henry struggling. 
She had looked over his account book as well and knew how bad things looked. But this would only help prod her Henry on to his next destination. Earlier in the evening, she slipped a note in the new Bible Samuel Davies had brought him, marking a passage of Scripture. Patrick's Bible had been lost in the fire, so she anonymously requested that one be sent to Patrick from the many that Davies had brought back from London. Liz walked over and jumped up onto the desk, rubbing her cheek on his hand. Sir Patrick, turn to the light that will always guide you, she meowed softly. Sweet Liz, Patrick's hand went to gently pet her as he lifted his gaze to see the small candle on his desk. He glided his other hand over the candle. A distant memory with his father played again in his mind. So the past will help me figure out the future? Patrick asked, gliding his hand over the candle to make the flame dance. Aye, that it will. John rested his arms on the table next to Patrick. You'll find that just as this lamp gives light to the room, the experiences you gain in your own life will give light to your path. Patrick nodded but didn't respond. He continued to stare at the light. I just wish it were easier to learn. Has it been easy for your eagle to learn how to fly? John asked him. Cato. His eagle not only learned how to fly, but even alerted him to the fire. Wings like eagles. Suddenly the verses from Isaiah came rushing into his memory, and he reached for the new Bible on his desk. He opened it and turned the pages until he found Isaiah 40. He quietly read, Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. I must wait for the Lord, Patrick thought to himself. That's easier said than done. Just then he saw the piece of paper sticking out of the bottom of his Bible. He tilted his head and turned the pages to read the slip of paper and saw that it marked Psalm 66. His eyes fell to verse 12. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. We went through fire, Patrick read again quietly, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. He then saw what was written on the piece of paper. We may not be certain about the next step we are to take, but we can always be certain of God. Remember John 14, 1 and 2. Patrick flipped the pages of his Bible to find the passage in John. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Many mansions. He held the paper and looked at the candle as thoughts swirled in his mind. Many rooms in my father's house. 
Patrick suddenly sat up straight as an idea came to him. He looked over at Sally. Hanover Tavern. Liz smiled as a faint glimmer of hope entered the eyes of her discouraged Henry. I do not yet understand what this next place will bring, Mon Henry, but it is time to solve the next part of the fiddle's riddle. A voice in the tavern. A faint glimmer of hope. Yeah, that's what I need, all right. There's that noise again. Aye, sounds like it be coming from the attic. Indeed. I took the liberty to follow the trail of crumbs leading from where you had placed your crueler, uh, uh, your doughnut, and the trail does indeed lead to the attic. <sighs> it better not be another rat. Do, do, you, do you think it might be a rat? Oh, boy, I, 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 I don't like rats. <laughs> I say, now, now, there, announcer chap, no need to fear. In fact, why don't we head straightway to Jenny's corner? She's always good for bringing an encouraging word, what? Uh, greetings, Miss Jenny. Hey, Nigel. Perhaps you can encourage an answer chap over here by reflecting on today's chapter. Oh, this chapter is filled with such tragedy, but so much excitement because I know what's coming. You know, sometimes when life is hard and it seems like we're living in a Job moment, you know, where everything is against us, like it was with Patrick Henry. Here he was failing as a tobacco farmer. And now fire burns down his house. And this really did happen to Patrick Henry. He really did lose his house to the fire. Of course, I have my fantasy element of evil coming against him to discourage him. And, you know, evil is real. And the enemy is out there and he does want to discourage us any way he can. But we know that God allows such times to grow us spiritually, to grow our character. And in this moment, this was a time to really put Patrick Henry literally through the refining fire. And this had to happen to Patrick Henry to set up where he was to go next. And you're going to see that he couldn't get to his life calling if this fire had not happened. So if you're in the midst of a hard time right now, or you are in the fires of affliction and you're a child of God and trusting him, don't worry. There is good that's going to come out of it. And there's something being refined in you or in your future that you're not going to get in any other way. So hang on and soldier on and just wait and see what God is going to do to bring it out of the fire. Oh, merci, Miss Jenny. Now you see, monsieur, there is no need to be afraid. God has a plan to bring good out of this scary situation. So you think it's scary too, then? Me? <laughs> no. But if you would like an escort to the attic, I uh, happen to be able to handle rats just fine. Aye, and they don't like to mess around with me either, lad. So then what do you say, old chap? Face your fears, head to the attic? Well... <laughs> Uh, all right, lad. Put on your big boy pants and follow me. Ready? Uh, I guess. Hey, what's with all the lights? I can barely see, see? I say, Aspen, old boy, is that you? It sure is me. Aspen, the flying squirrel from Philadelphia? In the flash. Well, no, this is a surprise. A surprise? 
I told you I'd be stopping by, Sean. You, you, you did? Sure. I sent you an email. Did someone forget to check his email? Hmm? Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad it's you, then, and, and not some rat. <laughs> I'll second that. And at least it explains the missing donut. Actually, it's a crueler. A crueler? Let it go, Max. Let it go. But Aspen, why did you mess with my moose? Mess with your moose? That was your moose? I thought it was whipped cream, she. No, it is his hair moose. That stuff is moose for your hair? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not working. Well, anyway, I say, old chap, <laughs> it is jolly good to see you. Uh, what are you doing in town? Oh, this is just a stopover, see? If somebody read his email, he'd know that. Yeah, he'd, he'd know. Sorry, Aspen. See, I'm flying south. I've got a sweet little timeshare in the Sunshine State. Lots of sun and sand and surfing. And where is this Florida timeshare? It's in, uh, Sarasota. Hey, of course it is. And, uh, hey, listen, announcer guy? Uh, it's Denny. Uh-huh. You should come along with me. You look a little tense, like you could use a vacation. You seem, uh, sort of stressed, see? Ha-ha! <laughs> Brilliant! I say, splendid idea! Oui, monsieur. You have had a lot on your plate lately. Uh, except for that donut. I was just about to say. But I, lad, Mousy and Aspen be right. You could stand a wee holiday. Uh, quite right. Take a few days off. Uh, we'll mind this studio. Go ahead and enjoy, uh, uh, share a shoulder. Huh? Well, thanks, but, uh, what about our next episode? Ah, uh, we'll handle it. Here, watch this. Without thumbs now, mind you. Well, okay, uh, are you sure, Aspen? Sure, I'm sure. I insist. Well, then, so do I. Um, see you soon. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandee! A bientôt, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.